We're going to be primarily in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2 tonight. If you brought your Bible, good luck with the lighting, but we're going to put all the scriptures up on the screen, so we'll have all the scriptures there for you. Um, I'll start with a, with a story just by way of introduction. I mean, we all, we're all aware of the Christmas story, we're, we're all aware of the implications of it, but just by way of introduction to, to our text here tonight... You know, it was December 18th, 1903. Uh, it was one week before Christmas. And, uh, you know, after several attempts, the Wright brothers had finally successfully launched uh, their flying machine, and they ushered in the age of flight. Uh, they marked the occasion by sending a telegram to their sister, Catherine. And the telegram contained two short sentences that read, We have flown, we'll be home for Christmas. Catherine hurried to the editor of the local paper and she handed him the telegram. She wanted him to read the message and her hope was that he would publish the message in the paper. Uh, And uh, this guy glanced at the telegram and he muttered, Oh, how nice, the boys are going to be home for Christmas. And he handed the telegram back to Catherine, and totally missed it. He completely missed it. He, he held in his hands the story that would alter the course of the 20th century, and he completely missed it. And tonight, we hold in our hands the story that not only alters the course of a century, The story that we hold in our hands tonight, the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, it alters the course of entire eternity. It alters the fate of mankind, and tonight I pray that it alters the course of our lives as well. But in order for that to happen, we can't miss it. This editor completely missed this amazing story, and we cannot miss the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And see, here's the catch, and here's the thing that concerns me uh, as a pastor, is that this story has become so, so commonplace. It's something that we know and are so familiar with that the implications of it, well, we can just completely miss it. And I pray tonight that we would not uh, miss. And so I want to begin tonight with a question. And my question to you is this, is it possible that you're missing something? Yeah, I've heard that. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, I know. I've heard the gospel story. I've heard the message of Christmas. I get it. I understand. I just want you to consider, just ponder in your heart, is it possible that you're missing something? Maybe you come here tonight, maybe you're you're missing hope or you're missing peace. Maybe tonight you're missing security. Uh, Perhaps it's happiness. Maybe joy is that thing that you're missing tonight. Maybe you're missing purpose. What is my purpose? What's the point? Maybe it's something, man, I can't quite put my finger on it, but, man, deep down inside, you know, man, I'm missing something. And if that's you, you're not alone. You know, the Christmas story opens with a cast of characters who every single one of them is missing something. We read in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, it says, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus 
that all the world should be taxed. This census first took place while uh, Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. Now, here in our text, this very familiar text, we encounter an assortment of people, all of whom are missing something. We see Joseph and Mary. They are missing, well, first of all, a proper place to spend the night. Mary, so pregnant and now going into labor, she missing a proper place to give birth to her child. Jesus Christ, that child, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the, the, the God who loves us so much that he would become a man and come in the likeness of human flesh, he's missing something as well. He's missing a proper bed, and he's missing proper clothing. He would be lied down in the manger, and literally where he was lied down to his bed, it was a feeding trough for animals. This saliva-stained feeding trough the king of glory would come and that would become his bed, his great love for us. And so each character missing something. But in addition to Joseph and Mary and Jesus, I draw your attention to the shepherds uh, who are also missing something. Uh, We don't see it here in the text, but history tells us that the shepherds were among the most marginalized people in society at that time. Uh, Shepherds were regarded as social outcasts because they had a bad reputation. 
Uh, there's a guy named Leon Morris. He's a, he's a famous theologian, and, and he says this regarding the shepherds. He said they had a poor reputation because many shepherds had a bad habit of confusing mine with thine. Uh, many shepherds were, were, were thieves, and they were uh, unscrupulous. They were, they were sort of like uh, our modern-day, uh, you know, you, you might think of carnies, you know. And this is kind of the way people thought of shepherds. They're just like, you know, going from place to place, and we can't really trust them, and you've got to keep your eyes on them, and, and this was the attitude. And so, uh, consequently, the deal with shepherds was they were considered unreliable and unclean, and as such, they were not allowed in the sanctuary, Imagine that, not being allowed into church. They weren't allowed into the sanctuary. <clears throat> or, and they also were not allowed to give testimony in a court of law. Because, again, that attitude was, you know, well, you know, it would, might have been said, it's been said, you know, when a drug addict is lying, when their lips are moving, right? And this is kind of the way they thought about shepherds. You know when a shepherd's lying when his lips are moving. So we're not going to let them be, you know, involved in a court of law. They're not going to be able to give testimony because, you know, we all know they're lying, And so this was the attitude of this group of people. Now, amazingly, this is the group to whom God chose to announce the birth of his son, to proclaim the good news. Now, here's why that's important to us, because we are all like these shepherds, every single one of us. Just as the shepherds were made to feel unwelcomed and unholy and unworthy, uh, some of you have been made to feel unwelcomed, to be, feel unholy, to feel unworthy. And the truth is, we are like the shepherds because the, the, the deal is whether, you know, someone has, has done something to us that's made us feel unholy or unworthy or, or unwelcomed, or maybe uh, <clears throat> you have done something yourself that has made you to feel that way. Regardless is, we are like the shepherds because the the fact of the matter is, folks, we are unworthy. Romans 3.10 tells us that there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the lie that the enemy would have us to believe is that we are unwelcome and nothing could be further from the truth. It is simply not true. Far from being unwelcome, God has gone to great lengths to to welcome us in. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesus Christ has been called the hound of heaven. And God going to great lengths to to reach us with his love. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. And so God loves us so much that, that he has gone out of his way to welcome us us in. And this is why the angel said to the shepherds that night in verse 10 of, of Luke chapter 2 that indeed they brought good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. And of course, all, very interesting word in the Greek, means all. All means all, that's all all means. And, and, and so, you know, Satan might whisper in our ear and say, no, that, that means everybody but you. 
You know, they, they, they don't know what you have done. They don't know what you have thought. They don't know the things that you've been involved in. No, this good news is for all people. God loves you so much, he's hunting you down. You know, as you read forward in Luke's gospel, you get to Luke chapter 5, and what you find there in Luke chapter 5, there's this cool story about a guy named Levi. He becomes one of the disciples. But Levi, before he became a disciple, he was a tax collector, which is about as low as you could get as far as the religious crowd went. Man, if you were a tax collector, you, were just, you might as well just hang it up. There's no hope for you kind of thing. We kind of, that carries over. That translates to our, our, our time today. We don't think much of tax collectors now either. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, the fact of the matter is this story is Levi here. He's this tax collector, and he gets radically saved, man. He, he comes to meet Jesus, and Jesus, you know, it just it surrenders his life to the Lordship of Christ. So what Levi does, he throws this party. And he invites all of his friends there, all the, all the folks that he used to work with, all the tax collectors, man. Everybody's there. All the people who are marginalized in society are, are invited to this party. But you know who he also invites to the party? Jesus. He invites Jesus to the party, which, I mean, it just stands out. That's what, that's what we do as Christians, right? We surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ. Man, we take Jesus everywhere we go. So Levi's throwing a party, and basically his party is, guys, God has radically changed my life. I want you to meet him. I've invited, I've invited the Son of God, Jesus Christ, to be here as well. And so Jesus is there. And in Luke uh, chapter 5, verses 30 through 32, let's put up the screens for you, but it's, it's, it reads this way. It says, And the scribes and the Pharisees, the, relig- the religious bunch, the religious crowd, they're, they, they're there. The scribes and the Pharisees, they complained against his disciples, meaning his, meaning Jesus, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, he says, I have no need to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. And so the the issue is, man, God says, hey, I've come for these people. These are the ones that I've come for. These are the people, they're, they're why I'm here. And, and I'm not looking for somebody who's got their life all together. I'm not looking for somebody who's all squared away. And, you know, hey, now you're worthy enough to, to come into my kingdom. That's, that, that's not why I'm here, Jesus would say. Jesus says, man, I'm, for the, I'm here for the people whose lives are jacked up, man. I'm here for the people whose, whose lives are, are a train wreck in process. Those are the people that I came for. This is the love of a loving father. This is the the love of a God who would send his only begotten son to die for us. And this is the good news. Now he says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now that word repentance, it's an interesting word. It simply means to turn. It means to change direction. And what a lot of people, they'll hear this, and what they'll think in terms of repentance is, oh, okay, I got to do good, I got to try harder. Repentance means, man, my life's a train wreck, and I got to stop this train wreck, and I got to get myself all cleaned up, and I got to get myself all squared away and on track, and I would submit to you, that is not what repentance means. That's categorically not what repentance means. See, the gospel says this. The gospel tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, The gospel says that the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news is the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And Romans 10, 9 tells us that if we confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. See, it's not about you cleaning up your life and being good enough to come to God. It's about you coming to the Lord and saying, I'm a train wreck. I've blown it. I'm a sinner. 
I, there, there's, there, I, I can't get there from here. But I recognize and I believe by faith that Jesus is the Son of God. And here tonight on Christmas Eve, as we gather, we're reminded yet again that God loves us so much that he would send his only begotten son. That's what Christmas, my friends, was all about. That he sent a savior for us. Jesus came to lay his life down ultimately for you and for me. And and so the hope of Christmas isn't that, oh, you know, gosh, God gave us his Savior, and if we're good enough, we can have fellowship with him. We can have, you know, we can be in the club and have the hope of eternal life. That's not what Christmas is all about. The hope of Christmas is Jesus sent us a lifeline. He sent us a Savior because he knows that you're never going to be able to make it. You can't get there from here. But Jesus Christ has come to give us life and that more abundant. Now, the Bible says in Isaiah 55, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. In fact, God exhorts us 32 times in his word to seek the Lord. The Apostle Paul said this to the Athenians on Mars Hill. He said, he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And indeed, the Bible uh, provides us with countless examples of people who seek after the Lord. And and there's, there's... just that's the, the picture of the Christmas story over and over again, people seeking after the Lord. We see the shepherds seeking after him here in Luke chapter 2. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 2, the wise men are seeking after the Lord. Uh, as you, you know, read through uh, Luke chapter 2, you, you see that Simeon is there seeking after the Lord. And the trend continues all the way through the gospel where we see people coming and seeking after the Lord. And it continues to today, people seeking after the Lord. There's an interesting account in Luke chapter 18, and again, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you, but I'm just going to be very quick here. But in Luke chapter 18, we have this story about this rich young ruler comes to, he's seeking after the Lord. And it says there, Luke 18, beginning in verse 18, now a certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here's this man seeking after, after the Lord. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. See, here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus says to this guy, look, here you are. You're all squared away. You've got everything all figured out, and and you're young, and you're rich, and you're successful, and basically you're a guy who gets things done. You're a guy who's capable. And basically what's happened is Jesus is discerning that in this man's heart, he says, you know what? I got the money. I got the house. I got the car. I got the power. I got, I got the position. I got the paycheck. I got it all lined out. You know, I just got to get one more thing squared away because I, I have my whole life squared away. So now I got to get squared away eternal life. And so now I'm thinking about, you know, not only my retirement, but my ultimate retirement. Got to get that thing nailed down too. And so he comes to Jesus. He goes, you know what? You're a good teacher. You, you got things squared away. And, and, uh, and I, I just, you know, right before this, we see Jesus, he, he's t- rebuking his disciples because they keep the kids away from him. He says, hey, man, bring the kids to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. And so this guy, no doubt, looking on, seeing that, going, I like this guy. 
he's a good teacher and, and he practices what he preaches. He's a, he's a good, you're a good teacher and this is the, the basis on which he comes to Jesus. And Jesus goes, hey, now you know what? Why do you call me good? Because here's the basic problem, my friend. You're thinking in terms of what you can do, of what you can engineer, of what you can work out. And Jesus says, man, it, ain't, it is not about that. You need to understand that I'm God. That's what Jesus is saying to this guy. And basically what he's doing is he wants to bring it down to this level where this guy stops trying to earn and work and, and engineer everything for himself. Jesus needs this guy to get to the place where he recognizes you're God and I'm not. And I don't come to you on the basis of you're a good teacher and I could use a handy guy like you around. And a lot of times we do this, even as Christians, where we kind of treat Jesus like a spare tire and we keep him in the trunk. And, you know, it's like, well, when I get a flat, I'll pull you out and then I'll put you on my life. Or, you know, Jesus, I could use a handy guy like you around, you know, to help me out every once in a while. But, you know, just understand who's in charge here. It's me, and you are like the genie in the bottle. You serve me. And a lot of times we can have that attitude. Jesus would say, no, 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 no. You come to me on the basis of, you know what, you're God and I'm not. And I'm going to surrender my life to you as the Lord of my life. This is the whole idea here. And so he continues. He says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God. In verse 20, he says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Now, here's what Jesus is doing. He's basically saying, oh, okay, so you want to you wanna earn salvation is what I hear you saying. What must I do to inherit inter- eternal life? Well, Jesus is like, oh, I'll tell you what you can do. You got to be perfect is what you got to do. So he starts rattling off the Ten Commandments to him. Now, here's what the guy says. He says, all these things I have kept from my youth. Well, no, you haven't because you just lied right there. You know, do not bear false witness. I've done all these things for my youth. Really? Let me talk to your mom. Right? Jesus doesn't even bite at that. So when Jesus heard these things, uh, he says, verse 22, uh, you still lack one thing, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now the problem's not money. I'll just tell you that up front. It's not that Jesus is saying, hey, money's a problem and you got to sell everything and you got to live for. Jesus isn't saying that. What he's going to is he's going to this man's God because this man's God is not Jesus. It's his wallet. And so Jesus discerns, dude, you've got a problem and he goes right to it. Don't you hate that Jesus has that ability in our lives just to go to right to that thing that I want to hang on to? This is what he does. And so he goes right to the man's wallet and he says, here you go. But when he heard this, verse 23... He became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And we have a tendency to become very sorrowful when Jesus goes after that thing that I worship. We become very sorrowful. And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. And so he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Here's Jesus's point, And we wind down with this. The man is trusting in his stuff. And Jesus says, you need to decide if you're going to trust in me or not. That's the issue here. In closing, I go back to the question I asked you in the beginning. What's missing? 
What's missing in your life? See, here's what I would submit to you, taking all this into consideration and this idea of seeking after the Lord and is, is, is it going to be Him or not? I just submit to you that no matter how you seek to fill in the blank, maybe you're here tonight and you, you responded to the invitation that we mailed out. And, and the invitation simply said, Merry Christmas. Except for Christmas was filled in with asterisks. Christ's name was blotted out with asterisks. And, and I ask you the question, what's missing from your life? Well, maybe that blank that's blotted out with asterisks, maybe you've filled it in with something else. And I would simply say, you know, whatever it is that you're seeking to, to fill in, man, what's missing in my life? Man, I don't have hope, I don't have peace, I don't have security. And, and seeking to have those things, maybe you've been looking to the wrong thing to fill in the blank. And, and what I would submit to you is that every missing thing in our life finds its fulfillment, finds its satisfaction when Christ is the one that goes into that blank. So what's missing in your life? I just wonder if maybe it's Christ that's missing in your life. Jesus said this in Matthew's Gospel. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. All these things. What are all these things? It's all the stuff we worry about, guys. It's all the stuff that weighs us down. It's all the stuff, man, that I, man, if I just had this, my life would be right. Jesus says, no, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things, they'll be added unto you as well. Just seek first the Lord. We're about to go into a time of communion, and this is how we're going to conclude our services tonight. Where I'm going to instruct you to, to come to one of the communion tables. We have them set up in the back and up front. You just make your way to the one that's closest to you. Jesus said that we're to do this in remembrance of him. The bread represents his body broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of, of sins. And tonight, as we celebrate Christmas, we do so with a lens towards, no, not just what does Christmas mean? Well, it means that God loves us and he sent his son for us. But it looks down the road as to why he sent his son. Jesus came to this earth to die a sacrificial death. He paid the price for the sin that you and I commit every single day. Because that's what's required. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid that, that debt that we owe. And so as we partake of communion tonight, it's that time for us to remember Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. And so Christmas is that time for us to remember, yes, God's great gift. But that gift found its fulfillment on a cross at Calvary. And so tonight, as we close in prayer and as we uh, prepare to partake of communion, I would challenge you. Have you received this gift? See, I can package up a very nice gift for you, but if you won't receive it, if you won't open it up, if you won't make it your own, well, then the gift will never be yours. Jesus died on the cross. Yes, that's his gift to us. Will we receive that gift? Maybe you're like the rich young ruler. You're like, hey, Jesus, you're a great teacher. I could add you to my life. No, he says, I need to be Lord. 
You need to surrender your life to me. I would encourage you tonight that if you've never done that, as we close in prayer and as we go now into a time of communion, I would encourage you, now is today. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time that you can ask Christ into your heart. It's not do good, try harder. It's surrender and let Christ come in. Amen.